Good morning. The children are released for Children's Church. It's nice when you remember that. Nobody has to hold up a big sign reminding you to do that. Uh, well, what a morning, though. That's uh, the days of Elijah. What a powerful song. And, man, this church was rocking when that was going on. I just love the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, I just want to touch real base. I wasn't here last week. Um, but we had a pastor's conference two weeks ago, and I'm not going to bore you with all the, the details, but um, there's not too many things in life that make me speechless, but that event made me speechless. Uh, I was so humbled to be part of that, and I just want to send a real big thank you out to each one of you that contributed to that, to you, the ones that are here that prayed for that, because um, that event was, was and I'm going to almost say life-changing, just because of some of the stuff that we learned, but more so some of the, the people that we met. I think that, uh, and I'll speak for Pastor Luke, and I think I can hear that some of the people that, that we met there just... We will never forget, just because the, the dynamics of the people that we met, the locations of where they at. And one thing that I learned that from my, my, my newfound friend that I we text just this morning, uh, Pastor Philbert from New Mexico, to my new friend Curtis, who's a pastor in Boston, everybody deals with the same problems as a pastor. Everyone deals with the same struggles. Everyone deals with the same challenges. And I think that that is something that, that encourages us, because I think sometimes we get the idea of thinking that, you know, this is just a problem that I'm dealing with. Um, but when we were out to lunch, we were talking, there was, I think, eight or nine of us, and we were from, from San Diego to New Mexico to Vermont to Boston to, I think there was a guy from Vegas and us from Akron in there, um, just talking about the struggles in ministry and, you know, the, the highlights of ministry. And, you know, we all agreed on the same thing, regardless of what the struggles were, that when we see people's lives being changed through the power of Jesus Christ, that's what makes it all worth it. So just want to give a, a real quick thank you for that. So before we get started on message, let's pray. Father, we just come before you, Lord. I thank you so much for the opportunity that you give me to, to speak here from the pulpit. Lord, I ask you to be ever-present through this message. I ask you to be ever-present through each person that's here this morning. Lord, I ask you to just hide me behind the cross and that every word that comes out of my mouth is straight from you. So, Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity. We ask for your presence to continue this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 4 for me. And just a, a quick uh, update on the prayer requests. Um, we do have another one if uh, Ann Cosner comes to mind. Pray for her and her family. Her brother Pete is in uh, real bad shape in intensive care in the hospital also. He's had a, uh, a stroke where a blood clot is lodged somewhere. Uh, and they don't, don't believe that it is something that is fixable by medical hands. But we know that if God chooses to fix it, he can. So let's pray for that. And the encouraging part, when I was talking to James yesterday, that uh, Pete accepted the Lord. He has motor skills in his eyes, and his brain is working properly. So they were asking, the question was asked, do you know Jesus? And he answered however they deemed the code was. He said no. And the next question was, would you like to? And he said yes. So the kingdom has just expanded by one, which is encouraging. And the one for Pat Ballard, that was Pat Ballard's mother that was ill. Um, not mother-in-law. So just pray for that family as well. But if you have your Bibles, let's go to Second Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. 
And I absolutely love preaching stories out of the Old Testament because I think there is so much in common to what we deal with today that we don't really look at it because the Bible is full of word pictures and analogies that can um, help us understand what the story is a little bit better. So we're going to talk about that. Verse 1 says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to me, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in this house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all of those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debt. You and your sons live on the rest. What a, a beautiful story about God's provision. And we're going to hopefully break it down so we can understand exactly what the meaning of the oil was, what the meaning of the, uh, the jars of the vessels were. But can I tell you today that God makes provisions for those who trust him? The gospel is full of stories where people that have trusted God and how he has provided. We've all got those same stories here. I'm sure if we had the time, we could ask people, you know, how have you trusted in God and how has he shown you that he is real? But if you'll trust the Lord, you can know that he will always come through for us. Now, it may be blind trust that we put in. I'm sure this lady, when Elisha told her, go find me a bunch of jars, her thought had to have been, What? I just told you they're going to come take my sons. But the lady realized that, you know what? I need to trust this man of God. See, her husband had been one of the prophets that followed Elisha. And back in biblical days, the women didn't work. It was the men did all the work, and the men got brought into finances. When the man died, there was no income for this family. Now, they says here that they owed the creditor, whatever the creditor was, that this man owed him some money. And in the Mosaic law, it states that if you can't pay your creditor, we have the right to take your children. You know, it's basically collateral. If you don't pay, we're going to take your kids. Now, those kids will work in whatever application they are, whether it's farmers, which was probably more than likely what they were going to do, until the debt is paid off or the year of Jubilee comes, which I find it ironic. No, I don't. I find it God that the song we talked about, the year of Jubilee. But the year of Jubilee comes every 50 years, and in every 50 years, all the debtors, if the debts weren't paid, they would be free. So these, this lady knew that she was going to lose her sons, because she couldn't pay the debt that she had. So she became desperate. Would you be desperate if you had no money and somebody was coming to take your children, your possession, your house? We'll just put it in the house because we know that no one's going to come to take our kids. We can't pay our bills, but you know the guy is coming to take your house, your car, whatever it would be. You become desperate. She was at a critical point. 
Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to that point where it's so critical that, that you hear from God, that you feel God's presence? You're desperate for a miracle. Anybody been desperate for a miracle? I have. But here's the cool part. When we're desperate, that's when the miracles happen. See, the miracle is in the vessel. The vessel referred to in here is, is me. It is you. Each one of us is a vessel. And now here's the, the, uh, the great spot, that desperation is the breeding ground for miracles. If we're not desperate to hear from him, you know, will we see miracles? Potentially. But when we're broken, when we're earnestly seeking him, when we are looking for that miracle of God, that's when he shows up. Now, verse 2 tells us, and we're going to go into the story here, that verse 2, so Elisha told her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, we see a jar of oil, but actually the oil referred to this, and the Hebrew word for jar comes the word anoints, and therefore refers to a jar of oil like this. So this was the size jar that she had to be able to give. That's all she had. But what did Elisha tell her to do? He didn't say anything about the size of it, didn't say anything about the content. He gave her some directions of what to do. He said, go find empty vessels. And here's what I find very interesting. Elisha knew the power of God. He told her, don't just get a few. The man of God didn't tell her why he was doing what he was going to do, didn't say what he was going to do, just told her, go get me some vessels and bring them here. So two things can happen at that point. We can do what we like to do, and sometimes when God gives us a directive, is question it, like, why do I need those? Because God told you we needed those. So what happened? She sent her children out to go get them. Later in verse 3, it becomes very clear that the size of the miracle is directly related to the effort that she was willing to put into gathering those vessels. If she went out by faith and got 500 vessels, because that's what that was available, I truly believe that God was going to fill those vessels with the oil. I also believe, had she not by faith, went out and got it and just got a small one, said this is all I could find because she was getting lazy on him, that he would have filled that one up. See, God's provision is based on our obedience. Verse 4 tells us that he shut the front door, or told her to shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her. Now, if you read in the book of Second Kings there's a lot of stories of Elisha where he refers to shut the door behind you. And why does he do that? Scripture doesn't tell us, but I have a couple, a couple thoughts on why that is. Number one, not to draw attention to himself. See, if you read in this particular passage, Elisha wasn't even in the room when this was going on. He told her what to do. And you got all the vessels that are sitting out here. Get been there with just, just you and your sons and close that door and take your jar of oil that you have given and just start pouring it. Now, can you imagine the excitement on this lady's face and the, the astonishment that the kids have when you take a jar of oil like this and you've got a jug 
and you pour it in, and it fills it up. And you just keep filling it. All through this. Could you imagine that excitement and the awe? So what is she saying? You know, man, he didn't tell me he was going to do this. But by faith, she gathered her jars. And as long as they had vessels on the ground to fill, God was still filling them. As long as those vessels were there, that when the man of God said, go get them, God provided with something as small as that little jar of anointing oil. But the question is, and, and the Bible does not tell us this, but why didn't she go get more vessels? Because obedience said, when he said, go get them. There's not an opportunity to go back out a second time to get them because you see God at work. God wants your obedience the first time around. Not the second time. Not when you see it in works. When God gives you something to do, He wants us to make that step right now in faith and go and do what He had asked you to do. It's so easy to see what's going on. It's like, man, I look at them charged. I'll be right back. i got to go get some more. No. He told you, go in there and shut the door behind you. That's where faith comes in. So I'm just curious, did she grab every jar that she could? Again, Scripture doesn't tell us this. Or did she just do the lazy way out and just get a couple to appease the man of God because, you know, I asked him to do something for me and he tells me to go out and collect somebody else's trash. If you're familiar with um, the stories of Elisha, in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, he does something very similar to King Naaman. What he does with that is Naaman was, was the man that had leprosy. And he was told, go see the man of God, he'll heal you of your leprosy. And the big, pumped up, proud king comes to the door, knocks on the door, and he says, I want to see Elisha. Okay. Well, Elisha sends his servants out and tells him, if you want cleanse from your leprosy, go bathe seven times in the Jordan River. And what does the king do? Does the king say, okay. No, he starts arguing with the people because he was so proud and puffed up. I want to talk to Elijah. Do you know who I am? No, he didn't care. Elisha gave him a directive from God and he argued about it. He said, go, go bathe yourself in the Jordan. And Naaman says what? Well, wait, aren't the Aban and the Farpar better rivers than the Jordan? Why can't I bathe in those and be healed? Because God told you to bathe in the Jordan. Why you got to argue with him? That's why. I truly believe we do that all the time. I do that all the time. God says do this. I say, why? That doesn't make sense to me. Did it make sense to, to the lady with the oil? This is all I've got. And I've got 400 gallons of, of jars here. What good is this possibly going to do me? I'm sure that thought crossed your mind. But by faith, she filled the vessels with the anointing. I think the lessons we're getting here is God keeps giving himself to us as long as he has a vessel that he can fill. That vessel, meaning us, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is oil. So the reference, the preference here is oil going into the vessel. The Holy Spirit, the anointing of God coming into us being the vessel. But God's giving himself to us as long as he has a vessel that he can use. He can pour himself into us. He stops giving to us when we stop bringing ourselves to him. 
When we stop being what we're supposed to be in God's kingdom, when we stop praying, when we stop seeking His face, when we stop going to church, when we stop fellowshipping with other believers that will hold us accountable, why would He pour Himself into us anymore? We have chosen our vessel, and we would rather have our vessel being full, filled with garbage than the things of God. So we know that God keeps giving. And of course, God can give many things to us whether we want them or not. We, we know that. But His best gifts can only be given if we desire it, and that gift is Himself. He wants to give Himself to us, His saving grace, to be filled within us. So listen to this. God will not force himself on anyone who will not in earnest faith open themselves up like an empty vessel and receive his grace. Regardless of what we may have heard on television, regardless of what we've read, Scripture tells us that God wants an empty vessel to fill. That empty vessel is us. When we fill it with other stuff in the world, other garbage in the world, things that take the place of him, there's not enough room in us for God to pour out His blessings on us. When we realize that and the things that are going on in our lives that we put in front of God, when those things we can set aside, then and only then can God fill us with everything that He has for us. So we need to realize that. We need to realize that we have as much God as we are willing to take in. Let me say that again. We have as much God as we are willing to take in. You know, being a Christian is a verb. It is an active part. You don't just say, Lord, come into my heart and you're done. That's when the work gets started because we know God wants our obedience. He will not make us whole unless we desire it and bring to Him our empty lives for His filling, our empty vessels for His filling because He wants to pour into us. He wants each one of us to be empty so we can pour into that. Remember, when it comes to receiving God's gifts, there are no boundaries except those that we create. You've heard the word and the terminology, don't put God in a box. We often do that sometimes. We will pray, but we don't necessarily believe what we're asking for can happen. I read a story a long time ago. Now, whether or not there's any truth to this story, I do not know, but it actually helps uh, with the point here. But there was an inner city church that had a bar right next to the church. And these people would pray that the bar would close. And they were outside in a prayer meeting praying that this bar would close. And one of the people in the prayer thing actually called down fire and said, you know, Lord, strike this, this, this pit of sin with a holy fire. You know, we know the holy fire is what? The symbol of the Holy Spirit. There's your Pentecost reference, brother. The fire of the Holy Spirit come down. Well, sometime soon or in the not too distant future, they had a big lightning storm. And lightning actually struck the bar and caught the bar on fire and put it out of business. Well, the people that owned the bar filed a lawsuit against the church because they lost their business because of the prayers of that church. So what do you do when you get called into church, or excuse me, called into court? Everybody pleads not guilty. Well, I have no idea how the judge... I believe he uh, threw it out because obviously you, an act of God, you cannot 
pass judgment on. But here's what the judge has said. He says, one thing I learned through this, and that is this, that the people that don't know God, the bar owners, believe in the power of prayer, but the Christians do not. Because they called on a holy fire to close the bar down. A holy fire came down and took the building and burned it to the ground. And all the Christians denied that they had any say-so in it. Do we do that? Do we say, you know, God, I want you to heal me, but really we don't believe it. God, I want you to take this away from me, but we really don't believe he's going to do it. You know, we talk about, you know, making choices in life and, you know, the um, the struggles that we have day to day as, you know, as a recovering alcoholic. I still deal with the issues of that every day. And if I don't believe that God has taken that away, it's very easy for me to go up here to the corner bar. But we have to believe and take active steps. When God says something, Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. That's putting God in the box. When we realize that, you know, God, you're only so big. I can only, you can only do this much for me. No, it tells us here in Ephesians, he can do exceedingly abundant things over all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in us, the broken vessel. So he's telling us here, if you want him to do great things, you need to have that power inside of us. See, when we have faith in the world, we get what the world is capable of. When we have faith in money, we get what money is capable of. When we have faith in self, We get what self is capable of. But when we have faith in God, we have what God is capable of. And there is nothing, I repeat, nothing that God is not capable of. All we have to do is willing to invest what we have inside and trust God for the results. That's easier said than done. Amen? But we have to realize that God is still in control, even in our mess. Even when we're struggling, even when we're challenged by the day-to-day activities in our lives, God is still in control. So you may say, you know what, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. You know what? You're right, I don't. But God does. And God's working on your behalf. You see, He wants you to know when you step out in faith, He can take you from the ordinary to the extraordinary. But we don't let him do that sometimes. You know, we'll come here to the altar and we'll pray, and then when we go back outside, we just jump right back into the drama that we just left at the altar. God has no rewind button on his recorder. Satan does. So when we come here to the altar, when we give God our heart and we lay it all down and say, God, take this away from me. I don't like feeling like this. Leave it here. Because when we take it out there, we're saying to God, I wasted my time on the altar because you don't care about me. You don't hear what I'm saying. That's not true. We pick it up. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, Scripture tells us. So we need that freedom. We need to realize that we can be free through Christ of anything that's going on. The widow knew that what she didn't have. She knew she didn't have a husband. She didn't have money to pay that. And she was soon not to have her kids. But what did she have? She had faith in the Almighty God. There's some people here that that may think, you know, they don't have anything to give God. You know, I don't have any money. I can't sing. I got a bad back. But you know what? 
Everyone has something of value they can give to God. It's right here. It's our heart. We can give our heart to God. And He smiles. You know what else we can give to God? We can give God our time. We talked about tithing here a while back. And there was a reference to uh, 168 hours in a week. And if we give our tithe in time, how many people give God 16.8 hours a week? I don't. We all have time that we can spend with God. We all have the time that God wants in our, of us to be on our face before Him, to be in His Word, to be in prayer, to be in fellowship with others. But the woman realized that she was willing to admit as to what she had. She says, this is all I got, God. Right here, this is it. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but it's yours. And what happened? God wants to do the same thing in each one of us. See, God can't fill our hands when our fists are clenched. Because there's no room in there for anything that He has for us. But when we open our hands to receive what God has, that's when we can be filled. We need to be empty so that we can be filled with His anointing. Let's go back to the story here. Verse 5 says, So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels. And she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Now go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Isn't that God's provision? God supplied all this oil. Go sell it. Go pay off your debtors. Live with your sons for the rest of your lives and take the money that you're going to get off of this and you can live the rest of your life. So she came from, my husband's dead, I'm going to lose my kids and all I've got is an ounce and a half of oil to still grieving over her husband, to still having her kids and being provided for for the rest of her life. That's God's provision. It is all by faith. Titus chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 talks a little things about when we had talked about the, the things that fill our lives and block us from receiving from God what He has for us. It says, Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. You know, I brought this illustration point up here, and it, it looks kind of silly, and, but this is a vessel. And I use the water that's in this vessel as an illustration point to see that God wants us to Realize that when we fill ourselves, when we fill ourselves with certain things, it takes up space in our vessel and it takes up place where He can pour His anointing in us. So, what will keep us from the anointing? 
Pride. Pride will keep us from God's anointing. It tells us here in Proverbs 29:23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. What else do you think will keep us away from getting God's anointing? Anger? Anger? Psalm 38, excuse me, Psalm 37, verse 8 says, Cease from your anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. So anger will keep us from receiving the anointing of God. Now, here's the funny thing about anger. Anger is a God-given emotion. Scripture tells us in the book of Ephesians, do not sin in your anger. So we know we're going to get mad at people. We know we're going to be angry. Again, that's a God-given emotion. But he tells us, do not sin in your anger. Cease from your anger. Forsake wrath and do not worry. It only causes harm. So what else will, will take the place of God in our lives? When we... How about hidden sin? Any of us dealing with that? Hidden sin in our lives? Psalm 69, verse 5 says, Oh God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. In the book of Numbers, it tells you, rest assured that your sins will find you out. So hidden sin will take up place in our inside and keep us from that full anointing. What else do we have in here that, that, that may block us from receiving what God has for us. How about greed? Will greed keep us from the anointing of God? Absolutely will. Because when we're greedy, that's not God's provisions for us. But here's what I want you to notice. We pulled these rocks out of here. These are the things that Scripture tells us will keep us that way. Talking about greed, Proverbs 1.19 says, So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owner. You see, only when we empty ourselves of just a few items, you could have other items that you're dealing with. Other things that are causing you to be filled with stuff that keeps us from the anointing of God, that keeps taking up space inside our heart. But here's what I want to show you. When we took just these four items out of this jar, wasn't that jar full when we started? Look how much room we have left in here to receive the liquid that's in there. Our hearts are the same way. When we get rid of the anger, the hidden sin, the greed, the pride in our lives, when we get rid of those things, we've got so much more room that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And only when we empty ourselves can we receive that. We sometimes like to put on a front and appear to be in good condition. You know, we come into church and, you know, we're always happy and we're always smiling. And you've heard all the cliches. I'm too blessed to be stressed, brother. You know, we, we put on that front. Listen to what Jesus talks about when, when we're really a mess inside because of some of these issues. But on the outside, we're playing the game just so, so people don't know what's going on in our lives. Matthew 23, verse 25 and 28 through 28 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. I think we do that a lot of times in church circles. We, we come in here and we portray being all together, 
But inside we're a mess. And, and you know how me, I like, I like illustration points, but this is, this is my cup today. Isn't that a pretty cup? This is me on the outside because I'm all smiling and everything's great. But inside I'm like this. Is that what God has for us? No. He says, clean the inside and then the outside will be clean. It's not about the external appearance of our heart condition. It's all about the internal. And when we have a clean internal spirit, we're going to be just fine on the outside. We don't have to play the game. We need to get to the point in the realization that He is all that we need. Amen? He is sufficient in every single way. You see, when we are weak, He is our strength. When we are hurting, He is our comforter. When we are lost, He is our guide. When we are hungry, He is the bread of life. When we are thirsty, He is our living water. When our life is unstable, He is the rock that cannot be moved. When we realize, I don't have what I wanted, but through Christ I have all that I need, that's when we know that we have arrived to right where God wants us to be. I want you to watch this video for me real quick.
prayer this morning. More of you and less of me. In John chapter 3, it says that I must decrease while he must increase. That's where we're at. We need to empty the things in our lives that are causing us not to get the best that God has for us. Again, we took out just four items out of this container and the volume went down about halfway. That's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to fill us up with His anointing, His holy presence. But to do that, we have to take away the things that are causing that relationship to be broken. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. These altars are going to be open. If you would like to give whatever is going on in your world to the Lord, He is here and He would love to hear from you. He wants to fill us. He wants us to give us everything that He has because He already has in His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, when we realize that point, that there's nothing that God can't do for us, that's when we get to the end of self. Pastor loves this phrase, and he said it a couple times at Pastor's Conference, that when we become, get to the end of self is when we get to the beginning of God. So that's where we're at today, folks. So as the worship team comes, I'm going to close in prayer. And if there's anybody in here that's dealing with some, some struggles, these altars are open. I would ask that you would come forward. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for so many opportunities that we have each moment of the day to be used by you. Father, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would pour out your Spirit into our lives, that you would build our faith, God. We thank you that you are so good to us. And though you may not give us what we want, you always provide what we need. We pray especially for those that may be feeling empty this morning, that may be filled up with the things that are not of you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us, Lord. And help us to remove those things that are keeping us from that relationship with you. Lord, we ask that you would give us strength and you would be our provider. You would build our faith so we can offer that up to you, Father. The widow in this story had something in common with all of us. She had a debt that wasn't impossible for her to pay. But, Father, you provided for her as you provided for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I ask right now, if there's anybody in here that does not know you as their personal Savior, that they would make that commitment to you this morning. And those that may be struggling with the walk of their lives, whether it's being filled with the the few things that were mentioned, the anger, the pride, the greed, the hidden sin, Father, we ask that you would bring conviction this morning. Bring those to the altar. And, Lord, let them be healed by a holy God. So, Father, we love you. We praise your holy name. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.